Happy Sabbath. Nice to be with you again today, church family. I pray for you each day, and I thank you for your prayers. I rarely mention this up front. If I have, I might have once before, but um, almost every time, if not every time I've come here, some donation has been sent to me, and I want to thank you so much for it. It's really been a help. Um, I have a few things I'd like to share with you today. The passage that we read, we'll uh, look at here a little bit later on. And um, if you would, I'd like to just uh, bow our heads briefly for a moment of prayer again. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can be here in thy house on thy day to open thy word and to hear your voice. We are praying for a closer walk with thee today. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll give us more, much more of your Holy Spirit, that we may be instructed by heaven that we may be united to Christ, and I pray that thou will help me now, Father, to speak a word in season to those that are weary, and I pray for each of us here, Father, that thou will enable us and give us the grace to arrive in the holy city in eternity, that we may worship there with no more problems ever again. We want to see your face, Lord. Please prepare us for that time, and we ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. I'd like to uh, read here a quote for you, and then I'm going to make a few comments. Um, This is from Review and Herald, January 21. It says this, The best help that ministers can give the members of our churches is not sermonizing. But planning work for them. Give each one something to do for others. Help all to see that as receivers of the grace of Christ, they are under obligation to work for him and let all be taught how to work. Especially should those who are newly come to the faith be educated to become laborers together with God. If set to work, the despondent will soon forget their despondency. The weak will become strong. The ignorant, intelligent. And all will be prepared to present the truth as it is in Jesus. They will find an unfailing helper in him who has promised to save all that come unto him. So the best help that ministers can give is not sermonizing, but planning work. I'm not your minister, but I want to inspire you by the grace of God to go to work for Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have an open opportunity, an open window now. Let's go for it, right? That's right. So... The way life goes for me is sometimes I have duties, and uh, I would rather be doing something else. But as much as I can, I witness for the Lord. Of course, my job is door-to-door. But anyway, I'd like to just talk to you a little bit about this. By the way, I mentioned something to you uh, maybe a few months back. There was was an incident here in the U.S. where uh, Russell Thomas and some other people uh, solicited a a wealthy man in Russia, Adventist man, to help them... uh, 
start up a printing press here in the U.S. I don't know if you remember that or not. But anyway, they, uh, so anyway, they went to this uh, wealthy um, Russian Adventist man, and they said, hey, you know, we'd really like a donation from you to get this press going. And his first response was, look, he said, there's plenty of wealthy Adventists in the U.S. Why don't you go back home and get some money? <clears throat> but he couldn't sleep the following night or nights, and so he decided to respond to their request. I don't know how much he handed over to him, them, but it was quite a sock full of money because they have a nice piece of land. They have a large building, uh, maybe I think around 20,000 20, square feet. There's been a very large web press already purchased, uh, and so it's down near uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. But anyway, I have a friend who's uh, on the staff there, and they've had a royal challenge finding someone who has the experience and the ability to run this large web press. They've tried to get some people to retire from the review. They've been unable to do that. So anyway, but anyway, just very recently, there was a little Adventist church just three miles from them. And uh, evidently, Russell Thomas was there, as my friend told the story. And someone else from the church pointed to a man sitting in the pew and said, you know, that man ran a large web press for over 30 years. Not only did he do that, he taught other people how to run this large web press. Well, this man is 81 years old, and he's a new convert to Adventism through the ministry of amazing facts. So God brought the man within a few miles of the place, and the man was very happy that he wanted a part-time job. He's got more than that now, but he can run the press, and he can help those people uh, do that. So they're able to put out a million great controversies, I guess, in four weeks, running one shift at a time. So the, Lord is, the Lord's hand is definitely working. Um, and some of you may know that in, I believe, four weeks from now, there will be a, an event here in Wycliffe, Ohio, called the Fest. If you want a little bit more information, I can give you some or Tim can give you some. They expect 35,000 people there. And uh, so we're looking, we have a handful of volunteers already, but if you're interested in helping out, we can give you information, and we will be having a conference call in a couple of weeks uh, giving information and a little bit of training on that. Uh, but brothers and sisters, these kinds of events are a wide-open door of opportunity. It will be a group of Christians gathering to uh, evidently musicians and things like that, uh, but there's already been a booth purchased there, and we, I'm sure we can use all the help we can get. A week ago this past Friday night, uh, I was back down in Mount Vernon for, um, there's a monthly event in our t in the town near me, Mount Vernon, Ohio, where they block off the streets around the square, and people come, and there's all kinds of booths and things to see, and it's a social event for the community. And so they, someone from the Hill Church in Mount Vernon had uh, uh, rented a spot, and they've been doing it for quite a while. And the ladies pretty much turned it over to me now. But anyway... Uh, the Lord helped me give out, it was about 100 great controversies in less than 90 minutes. It was amazing. And I'm thankful I brought an extra box. I ended up uh, being able to give out about 200 books in a little less than three hours. Um, so you can just imagine, you, there's a lot of people, of course, I'm fairly aggressive. There's people walking uh, along. If I would have had another person with me, I think we could have at least doubled or tripled what we were putting out, or, or another couple people. It's just like I couldn't get to everybody at once. And, of course, when you're talking to people on an incident, you know, on a brief basis like that, you have only a little bit of time. 
to speak. A lot of people are very popular. Of course, some people totally ignore you. Other people say no. So when people say no, I try to be very nice to them, and then they go on. And then, of course, other people will stop and listen. So one man came by, and he took a book, and he said, yeah, he said, I... He said, we're very near the end of time. He said, I dedicate myself to the Lord every morning. And, you know, you could just tell this man was really had his heart in, in with God. And ah, about 10 minutes later, he came back. He brought the book back to me. He said, look, he said, I'm a Christian. I said, I, he said, I really don't need this book. I said, please take it. I said, this book will enrich your experience. He said, okay. And he marched back off with it. So as, uh, of course, I say various things, but of something very quick you can say when you're handing out a book you can say, sir or ma'am, here's a gift for you. This will give you a lot of hope to read. That's very quick and easy. Here's a gift for you. This will give you a lot of hope to read. So in, in that first 90 minutes or so, I also passed out, and I wish I'd brought more. I, uh, I thought, you know, the time before I got only out of only about 100, but I passed out in about 90 minutes about a, a 100 of these, too. I don't know if you know what this is or not. I'm going to explain it to you just very briefly. I, I must say I'm very excited about this. A man at the West Salem Mission spent hundreds of hours putting this brochure together. It has 170 presentations on it. There's 20 presentations in here on health, diabetes, arthritis, high blood pressure, things like that, uh, Chad Cruiser, Barbara O'Neill, uh, D- Doug Batchelor. So you have 20 presentations on health, and you have 150 other sermons on here that someone can simply dial their phone, pick whatever they want, and listen to it. So I handed out these. These are, you know, people use their phones. And, uh, of course, this was mainly designed for the Amish, but I think it's wonderful for uh, all kinds of anybody, anybody. So what, my family and I went to Michigan camp meeting uh, just very recently, and so during the week... <laughs> To help pay for motel and all that. I went to work, but I went to seminars as I could, and I listened to Dr. Neil Nedley on you know YouTube when I was out too. So anyway, um, uh, I was able to pass out with the Lord's help about 150 of these that during camp meeting to, in the community there. One Amish lady, after I was done talking to her, and as I was walking off, I gave her this and some other uh, health papers, and she uh, she held up the brochure. She said, "Thank you so much for this brochure." So anyway, uh, back to, to Mount Vernon uh, a week ago, uh, one of the, uh, the uh, people, that st- uh, a lady that came by, I handed her the book and I told her, I said, ma'am, this book will show you what's happening to freedoms in America. It'll show you how history repeats itself, how the Bible's true. And I said, it will show you how Jesus wants you in heaven. She says, I wonder if he really does or not. So I told her, I said, he absolutely wants you in heaven. I said, he died for you. I said, the Bible says, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. She said, you know, she said, my husband's died. All my brothers and sisters have died. All my children have died. And she was going through a hard time. There's people out there, they need a kind word. (laughs) You know? A few weeks back, I was traveling uh, to drop, or I'm sorry, which was it? Yeah, to pick my boy up from school on a Friday afternoon. And um, I saw a lady along the road. Uh, her car was pulled over into kind of into the ditch. I thought, oh, she's got a flat tire. I'll whip around here and see if I can help her out. I've got some sympathy for people who get flat tires because I had 18 of them in about a year and a half. And it's just weird stuff happening, not because the treads were bad or anything. So anyway, I stopped by. So I whipped around. I drove up beside her. I rolled down my window, and I said, ma'am, I said, can I help you? And she was just in tears. She said, no. She said, a friend of mine died here last night. 
I said, oh, ma'am, I said, I am so sorry. I said, God bless you. Well, there's traffic coming one way, and there's traffic behind me. I had my flashers on. I, I couldn't stay there. I reached back. I grabbed one of these brochures. I put it in her hand. I said, ma'am, this will give you a lot of hope. A lot of hurting people out there, brothers and sisters. The world is ripe to, uh, the world is ripe to get the message out. You know, there's a group of us for about five years that have been going through the book Great Controversy, and we've gone through it maybe about four times. We, we, we spend about two Friday evenings on each chapter. and never ceases me to be an amazement to me how what a blessing it is to go over and over again the words of inspiration. I've recently started dabbling into the a little bit, again, the book Desire of Ages. I think I've been through that ten times over the years. But I find these words to be so uh, life-giving. I want to uh, read to you a statement here uh, in the book, Great Controversy. Uh, it's, it's from the chapter called The Final Warning. And uh, it says this. Against, excuse me, the same trials have been experienced by men of God in ages past. In other words, it's talking now in this chapter about the trials that God's people will face at the end of time. She's saying, look, this is nothing but a repeat of history. What they went through, you're going to go through it. So just, you know, get ready for it. Wycliffe, Huss, Luther, Tyndale, Baxter, Wesley urged that all doctrines be brought to the test of the Bible and declared that they would renounce everything which it condemned. Against these men, persecution raged. With relentless fury. Yet they ceased not to declare the truth. I love it. Different periods in the history of the church have each been marked by the development of some special truth adapted to the necessities of God's people at that time. Every new truth has made its way against hatred and opposition. Those who were blessed with its light were tempted and tried. Then this statement, 609, Great Controversy. The Lord gives a special truth. For the people in an emergency, who dare refuse to publish it? I would rather meet the wrath of man than the wrath of God. Brothers and sisters, as we come down to these last days, we must we cannot be people of fear. And by the way, the news media is a big propaganda machine. You know, Neil Nedley spoke up at camp meeting, and he, according to the official statistics, of course, I would, anyway, I have ideas about that. But according to the official statistics, Neil Nedley brought this out. I'm going to try and convey it on to you as I remember it. But according to the, to the official statistics, more people died of fear then died, actually died of the COVID problem. Think about it. 
God has not given us the spirit of what? Fear. Hmm? You know, there's some things in the Bible you need to memorize. Can I give you one suggestion? I give you many, but let me give you one. Memorize Psalms 91. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walk in the darkness, nor for the destruction that waste, wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall come not, not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Anyway, I, I jumped out of the page here. I want to read this, finish out this quote here. It says, the Lord gives a special truth for the people in an emergency who dare refuse to publish it. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, that when we preach the truth of Christ to the world, we must be nice? And as we heard in Sabbath school today, uh, the 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 uh, statement from 9T, where she says, if we be kind, courteous, pitiful, and tenderhearted, there will be 100 conversions to the truth where now there's only one. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we must be that way. But we, if the world does not consider, we better be nice. But if the world does not consider us nice, we sp- still must not cringe and back off from giving our message. So it says, the Lord gives a special truth for the people in an emergency who dare refuse to publish it. Now listen. He commands his servants It's not an option. He commands his servants to present the last imitation of mercy to the world. They cannot remain silent except at the peril of their souls. Christ's ambassadors have nothing to do with consequences. They must perform their duty and leave results with God. You know, when you, when you interact with people, it is, takes quite a bit of energy. But we must do it out of love to them. Yeah. People need to hear, Jesus wants you in heaven. Not too long ago, I was, of course, I go from house to house. A lot of times it's driving because I work in rural areas, and I was driving from one house to another, and I went around a bend, and there was a lady sitting right at the corner on a chair, nice sunny day in a rural area, two little boys playing around her. And, you know, when I go between house to house, I'm given a lot of energy all through the day, and I kind of like a little break. And I drive right on past that lady, but the Lord said to me, I think you need to go back there. And I said to myself, I think I better go back there. If the Lord is pressing me, I better go back there. So anyway, I went back there, and the lady was babysitting these two little boys, about six and eight years old. And so I gave her a great controversy and told her what it was about. She was nice and congenial. And um, uh, the two little boys had been riding their bicycles, and one of the little boys uh, said, my brother's chain came off his bike. He said, he can't ride his bike anymore. I said, well, bring it over here. I said, I think I can fix it. So I happened to have a screwdriver and pliers in my van, and I took the guard off, and I got the chain back on. Well, the problem, I couldn't fix this problem. The problem was the chain was too loose, and I couldn't make that adjustment. But anyway, I showed the boys how they could get their chain back on. If it came off again, the boy got on his little bike and rode around. It just made them real happy. And, um, and anyway, the lady was also using tobacco. 
So I gave her a little tobacco book and things like that. But brothers and sisters, we've got to minister to people wherever we can, however we can. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. So may the Lord help us help us to do that. So I'd like to, to in uh, just in try not to take too much more time on this, uh, simply for the sake of courtesy. I mean, I don't, uh, whatever, there's balance to everything. But I'd like to look a little bit today at the message of Revelation chapter 3, okay? Revelation chapter 3, the Philadelphia, excuse me, the Laodicean message, uh, which we are, we're aware of this in basic content, but I'd like to uh, look at some things here and um, make some observations. So in Revelation chapter 3, uh, we have the Laodicean message. I think it'd be kind of nice to just think down through it again briefly and then observe a few points here. Christ is speaking to his people in the last days. Um, and he says here in Revelation uh, 3.14, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. So we know, or maybe you know, you probably do, but the word Laodicea, you know what it means, Right? It means the judging of the people. The word Daniel, Daniel's name means God is my judge. We are to live in the sight of our God, realizing that we have a responsibility to him. He requires us to be loyal to him, and it's not merely our own opinion. We are to be loyal to our God because we will be judged. We will be judged. God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Yeah. Hmm? And in order to be ready for the judgment, we must keep the commandments of God. But in Revelation 3, uh, it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things set the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The true witness is Christ. Obviously, God does not lie. The Bible says he cannot lie. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, I'm not sure the verse, maybe Proverbs 28, but it says, he that trusteth in his own heart. This is talking about trusting merely in your own heart. It's not saying we're not to think and evaluate, but it says, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. See, we as Christians believe that God's wisdom is, is above our wisdom, and he surveys every perspective on every situation, and he knows best. You know, Jesus said, you're not going to go to heaven unless you're like your little child. Well, you know, a little child, in its purity, it's going to trust its mommy and daddy. And when mommy and daddy say black is black and white is white and God is love, they believe it. See, and when our God says things in his word, we are to believe it because it's true. Yeah. In fact, we will know as we follow the word of God in our life, we will become more and more convinced of its truthfulness. John 3, he that has received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. In other words, when we have an experience with Christ, we can testify that Christ is true. He's right. He's, in fact, he's wonderful. He's wonderful. Um, He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou art cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. 
How many of you have, have you have done? Uh, hi, I'm going to jump off the subject here just a little bit. How many of you have done hydrotherapy at all to yourself or anything? I do a lot. I take a cold shower a lot of times when I finish a hot bath and things like that. And when you do, I've injured my knee a number of times. Had dramatic improvement in that knee in a week's time by doing an hour a day of hydrotherapy on that knee. Swollen up, hurting. I was even on crutches. It was amazing what the hydrotherapy did. Did you ever do hydrotherapy with lukewarm water? I would that were cold or hot, excuse me, cold or hot, excuse my tongue. Um, it's interesting here, how many sevens are in the Bible? Did you know that temperature is mentioned right here in the Laodicean message seven times? Hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, lukewarm, seven times. Isn't that amazing? Did you know that the word Laodicea is mentioned seven times in the New Testament? It's amazing the structure of inspiration and the numbering that's in there. He, but he says, he says, if you remain lukewarm, he says, I will spew you out of my mouth. You know what it is? Jesus doesn't like half-heartedness. It was his zeal and his love that led him to come to this world and become a man and then suffer at immense risk. And he's asking of us a corresponding reaction to his great sacrifice. Paul in his ministry, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with uh, excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He says, For I determined to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. Keep your eyes on the cross, because Christ has humiliated himself for eternity, and he's paid an infinite price for our souls. Amen. Mm. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Have you ever heard anybody say, I don't see anything wrong with that? Is there credibility in that statement? There is not credibility in that statement. Our standard for right and wrong is not our own opinion. It is the word of God. So Jesus, as the divine true witness says, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. And we're saying, you know what, Lord? We are really good. You should really like us. Well, he more than really likes us. He really, really loves us. We said, your condition is not good. And I'm looking for humble people that I can save and work with and transform. Okay? So he has a he has advice here. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Gold tried in the fire. You know what? I don't like to suffer. I don't know about you, but I've had plenty of it in my life, and I don't like it. In fact, when Jesus comes, I'm going to be really glad he's going to take me out of here. But I'm convinced of this. The desire that I feel now is going to be greatly increased by the time the Lord gets here. We're in for a ride, brothers and sisters. Yeah, But God will be with us as we come into these last days. Counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire. You probably know this, but did you know that the, the, the material that coal is made of and diamonds are made of, it comes from the same material? Did you know that? What's much more beautiful and much more valuable? It's the diamond. You know why? Because it has been submitted 
to the conditions of much greater pressure and much greater heat, and it produces a much more beautiful result. But he knoweth the way that I take, Job said, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, that God is allowing you to be bumped around and pained and hurt because he is perfecting your character for his kingdom? Now no, ta- now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, Hebrews 12. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So we should be willing to take rebuke because it comes from a loving God. He just cares about us. He doesn't want us to be lost. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, these next couple verses here I really like. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's talking about the soul. The door is the entrance to the soul. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, he says, I will come into him. Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost? Ye are the temple of the living God. First Corinthians six or Second Corinthians six, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Brothers and sisters, we I know there's a lot of things that demand our attention, daily things, even spiritual things. But there is one subject that we really need to keep paramount, and that is the endowment and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, because it is through the Holy Spirit that Christ will come into the soul, reconstruct the character, transform us into the likeness of his character, and fit us up for his kingdom. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. I want to just make a comment here. The choice is yours. There is no reason to be lost. The choice is yours. Everything we're told in the book Steps to Christ depends upon the right action of the will. Choose Christ. Choose right. When wrong thoughts come into your mind, choose to reject them. Choose the good. Choose Christ. Use the power of your will. Your will is more powerful than Satan if you align it with the will of of God and with the will of Christ. Okay? I'm going to read to you a few statements here um, on the subject of the Holy Spirit. By the way, the book Desire of Ages is loaded with good comments on the subject of the Holy Spirit. But um, there's one chapter called Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled that's wonderful. And I want to read a little bit from this, okay? 671 is the paragraph I'm looking at, Desire of Ages. In describing to his disciples the office work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus sought to inspire them with the joy 
and hope that inspired his own heart. He rejoiced because of the abundant help he had provided for the church. The Holy Spirit was the highest of all gifts. The Holy Spirit was the highest of all gifts that he could solicit from the Father for the exaltation of his people. The Spirit was to be given as a regenerating agent. And without this, this is a very interesting comment. It says, without this, that is the Holy Spirit, the sacrifice of Christ would have been of no avail. Very fascinating. Three persons in the Godhead, all of them omnipotent, but yet it took the threesome of them to redeem fallen man. Very interesting. And probably one of the main reasons here is that when Christ became, became redeemer, he came into human flesh, fallen human flesh, and he has given up forever his power of omnipresence. He still would have all his other powers. So in his place, the Holy Spirit comes to abide in the soul. Without this, that is the Holy Spirit, the sacrifice of Christ would have been of no avail. The power of evil had been strengthening for centuries, and the submission of men to this satanic captivity was amazing. Now this statement. Sin could be resisted. Sin could be resisted and overcome only through the mighty agency of the third person of the Godhead who would come with no modified energy but in the fullness of divine power. I like it. I'm going to tell you something you already know. Sin is a very powerful principle as a operating principle. It's very powerful. Okay? And only Jesus is more powerful. Only Jesus is more powerful. That's why we must have him in the soul and be a partaker of the divine nature in order to conquer. And when you come to Jesus and you say, Lord, here's my heart. Take it. He puts his spirit in the heart and he now gives you the capacity to overcome sin. He doesn't wait around. If you come to him in faith and submission, he doesn't wait around. He says, here it is. Sin could be resisted and overcome only through the mighty agency of the third person of the Godhead who would come with no modified energy but in the fullness of divine power. It is the spirit that makes effectual what has been wrought out by the world's redeemer. It is by the spirit that the heart is made pure. Through the spirit, the believer becomes a partaker of the divine nature. Christ has given his spirit as a divine power to overcome all hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil and to impress his own character upon the church. In other words, if you inherited something from your parents, he can deal with that. If you've been doing bad things and got bad habits, he can deal with that. 
He can make you conquer over all of it. Isn't that good? Yep. So sin could be resisted and overcome only through the mighty agency of the third person of the Godhead. Now, we are sinners, and we need a Savior. And I don't have the reference, but there's actually a statement in Ellen White where she says, we have a right to a Savior because we are sinners. Quite an interesting thought, isn't it? Now, I just want to dwell for a moment here. I'm going to try and wrap this up pretty quickly. Try. I want to dwell for a moment here on verse 21. Christ says, to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Wow. Even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Wow. We read in class today from 1 Peter 5, just before the reading that was done there, there is a verse that says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Very interesting. You know what? We don't deserve it. <laughs> but you know what? Christ is going to make us worthy. He's going to give us his righteousness and he make us a partaker of the divine nature. And through redemption, we are actually adopted into the Godhead. It's amazing. Now I want to wrap up with a thought here. As we approach these last days, this has been one of Satan's tactics all the way through. But as we approach the last days, Satan is going to work in a masterful way, not only to make the wrong appear right, but to make the right appear wrong. And he's also going to make the, try to make the right appear as it is the weak losing side. And that is totally a lie. The Bible says, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. I want to, maybe I ought to point this out to you very quickly. I'd like for you just to jump to the book of Psalms real fast. Early on, book of Psalms. I'm looking at chapter 7, Psalms, chapter 7, verse 15, okay? Psalms, chapter 7, verse 15. This is talking about the wicked, okay? Psalms, chapter 7, verse 15, it says, are you there? Psalm seven fifteen. okay? It says, he made, that is, this is the wicked. He made a pit, that is a hole. He made a pit and digged it, and what happened to him? He fell into the ditch himself. Verse 16, his mischief, there's wickedness, trying to do wrong and bad to someone else. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealings shall come down upon his own pate. When you read in Revelation chapter 13, it says that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. The time is going to come when you and I will not be able to buy or sell because we are keeping the seventh-day Sabbath. We refuse to keep Sunday keeping, which is the mark of the beast. That time is coming. Okay? So they're going to put economic pressure on us. They're going to really tighten the jaws down to try and put pressure on us. And God's people say, so be it. We are not going to worship the devil, or a false god, and we are not going to worship the beast. Amen. We're not going to do it. 
we will follow our life giver, okay? So in Revelation 13, you see the powers of earth clamping down on God's people, taking away their economic privileges. But you go on on over to Revelation chapter 18, you'll read about the entire demise of the entire economy of the whole world. The merchants of the earth and the great men, the rich men, the chief captains and the mighty men, when they saw her burning, they wept and howled because no man buyeth her merchandise anymore. And on and on and on it goes in Revelation 18. Look, what, what they put out, they're going to get coming back. Okay? But in the interim, God's people will, will suffer. All right? When you read the book Great Controversy, it talks about the um, people that suffered for Christ's sake. But one of the, there's a short little sentence in there. On page 41, it says, by defeat they conquered. It will appear as if we're defeated, but we are not. By defeat they conquered, and even if they died and were martyred, they were came out on top. All as the world can do is offer you a few days longer of the things that this world offers, but if they put us to death, their time is coming too. And I would much rather make my exit out of this world, even if it's through suffering right now, than to, to give in to the pressure of the world and honor Satan, right? So um, in Psalms chapter 9, it says, The heathen are sunk down in the pit which they made, and the net which they hid is their own foot taken. Uh, Psalms chapter 9, 16 says, The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. There, there's multiple statements like this. What's the classic story in the Bible about someone who, who the, his evil came back on him. What's, well, at least one of them. Who? Haman? Yeah, you got it. So he says, I don't like this godly man, Mordecai. I got the perfect setup for him. We're going to string him up, get him out of my way. So who got hung on that gallows? Yeah. Not Mordecai, Haman did. I'm going to try and convey this story to you. I don't have the, I heard this story a couple years ago and I don't have the details all clear in my mind, but here's basically the gist of the story. You just need to keep these things in mind. So there was some Adventists that started a mission in one of the South American countries. I don't know if it was Nicaragua, Honduras, which one it was. I don't remember that thing, but they started a mission in one of the South American countries and they drilled a well and they got lots of nice water. And there was a man who lived right next to their property who had drilled a well and tried to drill a well and he could never get water. And he became very angry and envious of the Adventists who got water, and he didn't. On top of that, on top of his envy and hate, he had a problem. He was a drinker and a drunkard, and so he wasn't a very nice husband. And his wife would come home, uh, and he would even throw knives at her. And and because she liked to go to the Adventist meetings, you know, and but he, anyway, so he thought I'm going to really level with these people. So he conceived the design in his mind that he was going to poison the, the whole Adventist group there at this mission by simply depositing uh, uh, poison in their well, and then when they drank the water, they'd all be done. So he bought himself a really good potent bottle of poison to pour down that well. So he planned a certain time in which he was going to get this uh, dastardly deed accomplished. But he thought, well, before I do this, I'm going to go out uh, uh, on a drinking spree in town and get good and drunk first before I dump this poison down the well. So he did. And he came home, and he was quite f- fully drunken, but he came home raging at his wife that he wanted more to drink. And he said, you find me 
more liquor in the house. And she scoured the house all around. She could not. Finally, she found a bottle, and it was hidden under his bed. And she took that bottle out. She handed it to him. He tipped it up and took some gulps of this. And then he said, where did you get this? She said, under your bed. So he said, I, he said, that's poison. So the missionaries next door put the man in, a pick, in the bed of a pickup truck to rush him to the hospital. Some man stayed at his side in the bed of the pickup truck on the way to the hospital. And on the way to the hospital, the man died. And just before he died, he raised his head and he whispered in the missionary's ear. He said, God is just. Brothers and sisters, when you read Psalms chapter 19, it talks about the commandments. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And I want to read you this snippet from Psalms 19. It says, moreover by them, this is uh, verse... 11, it says, moreover by them is thy servant warned. Now listen, talking about the commandments of God, and in keeping of them, there is great reward. I want to meet you in heaven. Don't let anything get in the way of that. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit. Let's pray for a revival. Because Jesus says we're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Let's not think complacently of ourselves. Let's walk humbly before God and say, Jesus, I want you. I want your spirit. I want your righteousness. And I want to be with you forever. Yeah. God bless you.